Good morning, everyone. Listen to me, child of God. You must understand that when you believed in the Son, in grace you forever stand. Jesus, death has satisfied, and through faith in Him, you got peace with God. 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 Oh, reconciled through the death of Christ, you're the object of God's love. So rest upon a Savior's work and eat the bread that's from above. Hold on to His promises, be assured and don't you got peace with God. 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 You don't have to worry Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'll hang this guitar up and I'll be right back with you. Alrighty. 
All right, good morning again. Can you turn your Bibles again, if you haven't done so already, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to wrap up our study today in Ephesians 2.13 by noting in the B part uh, of this verse, the reason and means by which Gentile Christians have been brought near to God and His covenant people Israel. So that is going to be our subject today as we go through this great book and this great chapter in Ephesians. And uh, for those who might be uh, new, uh, popping in for the first time and aren't familiar with us. Uh, we're an expository type ministry. My name is Bill Wenstrom. I was a pastor born. I'm a, I'm a pastor that was ordained in 1998 at Grace Bible Church in Somerset, Massachusetts. And uh, I had uh, the first of two church plants in August of 2001 uh, in Iowa, in the Cedar Rapids area. In fact, we ended up in uh, Norway, Iowa, and I was there for nine years. And then I left there in 2010 of August and started a new church plant in Marion, Iowa. And uh, and then uh, we also, uh, then back in 2019 in June, I left Iowa and came back to Massachusetts to take care of my uh, elderly parents, in particular my mother, help my dad with my mother who has dementia and she's in a nursing home now. So I, I back in uh, 2022, I was... Uh, offered uh, the position to be the pastor here at Doctrinal Bible Church in Huntsville, Alabama, which where I'm broadcasting. I'm a half mile down the road from the church, and uh, which is at 1215 Russell Street Northeast in Huntsville, Alabama. Doctrinal Bible Church is the name of it. And uh, you can access our classes, the audio of the classes, to our Wenstrom.org page here. And our class schedule for Wenstrom Bible Ministries is uh, two, Saturday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, we're located, the mailing address for us, in case you're thinking of uh, sending us uh, something, a gift. It's uh, 603 O'Shaughnessy Avenue, Northeast Huntsville, Alabama, 35801, for those who are on the podcast. Again, that's Winston Bible Ministries, and you make the check out to that if you're sending a check. And uh, 603 O'Shaughnessy Avenue, Northeast Huntsville, Alabama, 35801. We're tax deductible, the donation, is because we're a nonprofit uh, church. And uh, we have a one, uh, you can see we have several different websites. The main one is wenstrom.org, and uh, that uh, is uh, all of our MP3, MP4s are up there pretty much, except for since the since uh, August of 2019, where they're up at uh, Logos Sermons website, which you can access through the wenstrom.org page. Um, we have um, podcasts at Amazon Music, iTunes, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify. Just search for us under Winston Bible Ministries and the classes at, in Huntsville uh, with the uh, the Doctrinal Bible Church classes. Uh, we got the I got podcasts up there for them as well, along with Winston Bible Ministries. We have over seventeen hundred written articles on our Winston.org page. All of my written material is up there. A portion of it is over at uh, Academia Edu. I have a website there. Just search for Bill Winston or Google me Winston Bible Ministries, and you'll see that. And uh, as I said before, our MP3, MP4s are up at uh, since. Uh, Pretty much all of them are up over at uh, at uh, uh, Logos Sermons. It used to be called Faith Life Sermons. Now it's Logos Sermons. And uh, what else? So, so um, and we also at Winston.org we have various. The Academia website has over 700 written articles. The Winston.org page, as I said before, has over 1,700 written articles in PDF format. That's the latest I counted. I think uh, back about six months ago or something like that. And uh, so it's probably more than that. And uh, obviously, and uh, we. Um, so I'm, I'm at Doctrinal Bible Church. Uh, I began teaching there, accepted the position in May, and moved down here in, in July, just before the Fourth of July, July second, in, in uh, this uh, in 2022. And then I uh, began teaching on July 10th. I teach on over there on Sundays at 9:30 a.m. There's a I actually do two sessions and uh, with a break in between. 
and uh, we uh, and then we also teach on Wednesday evenings over there at six thirty p.m. And uh, right now over there on the on the on the on the weekday on the weekends on the Sundays I, I do different books of the Bible like I do here at Winston Bible Ministries. But on Wednesdays I do the different doctrines of the Christian faith over there. Whereas it, with Winston Bible Ministries I do them between in between books I do that. And over there at Doctrinal Bible Church, we're teaching on the Day of the Lord. We just began a subject, that introduction the other night, last Wednesday. And on Sundays, we're doing, we're actually entering into this Sunday, the final chapter of Habakkuk, a book that we studied here, here at Winston Bible Ministries back in 2021 when I was in Massachusetts. So uh, that's, uh, that's, basically, that's uh, who we are. And uh, if you want to give to Winston Bible Ministries, uh, there's a, um, you can send that, uh, send a check to, Wenstrom, uh, to the mailing address that I just gave to you, and it's on the board there. And also, you can go use PayPal. You just go to the Donate tab on our homepage at wenstrom.org. And also, there'll be a Christmas break that is going to be coming up. I haven't posted it yet on the uh, on the website or our faith, uh, Facebook page, which is Wenstrom Bible Ministries. Is, you can find it there, the Facebook page. Um, and so I'll be posting that uh, probably uh, uh, this week or so, uh, this coming week. Or maybe even today I'll do it. Uh, but anyways, uh, if I had the time. And then also, um, we have a YouTube page, of course. We use streaming video by YouTube. They, I started using that while I was, when I started teaching classes in Massachusetts, which has been great. And uh, so, um, we, we've been on YouTube since 2011, just under Bill Wenstrom. So I put, I have all my teachings I've had since 2011 uh, on that site. Uh, I have different playlists for the different doctrines and books I've studied over the years. Also, my music. I write my own Christian music. Um, it's kind of funny because this guy just, uh, met, I got to get back to him. He's messaged me and uh, he's like, oh, I'm surprised that you, you sing, you know, play, play a song. So he, I guess he writes songs too and he has some website that uh, deals with the rapture and everything. So anyways, he, uh, so he was, I got to get back to him and, and email him back. It was nice of him to email and uh, so I write my own Christian music. Um, right now, I, I'm trying to, uh, uh, I've actually begun a new collection of songs. I usually want to do, do a, a collection of songs. It's 14 I write. So the last time I wrote a collection of 14 songs was just before I left Iowa in 2018. It's called Rejoice. That's on our Winston.org page. Just look at the music tab. And also on our YouTube page, you can watch me playing it live. And also on the Winston Bible Ministries, you can write, watch me playing these songs live. They're not professionally recorded. Um, they got, you could say, you know, they get better as they go on, but I, I'm going to, I want to get all my stuff professionally recorded, but that takes some money. So I got a guy, a producer who's done two of my songs from 2018. He's really good. So, but, uh, so I'm, I'm just hopefully, uh, with the money comes in, I'll be able to do it. If not, it doesn't, I won't be doing it. <laughs> That's as simple as that. And, uh, so, um, it'd be nice to be able to professionally record. The first two I've done with them are really good. And, uh, so I've got a good response for them. So I like to do it, uh, have them on, uh, I, I like to shop them over to some Christian record, uh, places, uh, Christian record, uh, music business people. And, uh, so I'm not that far away from some of these people. So I'll, and, uh, so we'll see what happens. I'm not, you know, I'm obviously not looking to be a rock star of, you know, I just, just want to get them out there to more people, but uh, you know I can do that through the websites and the YouTube and all that. So whatever doesn't really matter to me. Um, it'd be nice to uh, develop, get these songs. Well, these songs I could play with a band, and I, I, you know, I, I just, you know, I just don't have a time to get together, a, get a band together, a Christian band. But um, I could do it. But it's, I just, I just search these, find these people. Just, you know, God's gonna have to bring them to me. <laughs> Which I'm teaching three times at Winston Bible Ministries and three times at Doctrine Bible Church. So. I don't know anybody's teaching that much, and uh, uh, so I was debating whether I should, you know. But I actually, you know, as I said before, it's really not that 
uh, difficult for me only because I, I, I plan out all these lessons like four months in advance. Like I'm in Ephesians and I'm working on Ephesians 3, 6 now. And so I'm way ahead of you guys before I teach it. And then over Doctrine Bible Church, I have all these lessons over the years that I've already taught at Winston Dog, Winston uh, Bible Mysteries, and, and the Doctrine Bible Church people have never heard me teach these things. So I got plenty of stuff. I plan it out quite in advance. So that's why I do it. So I've always done that. So uh, with ministry, you never know. There's always things popping up. People die. There's a crisis in the church or whatever's going on. And you have a health problem or something. So it's it's just, uh, so you, I always plan out in advance. I've learned that to do that from the, the, the minute I started, uh, I got ordained. Just observing other guys and how the troubles, trials and tribulations that they have in preparing lessons. I never cram, in other words. So I've seen some guys do that and that's not good for the congregation. And uh, so also the first Sunday, first Saturday of each month, we're observing the Lord's Supper uh, here at Winston Bible Ministries and uh, Today that will be at the end of at this lesson. At the end of this lesson, we'll be doing that as we knew, do every the first Sunday of each month. And so, without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayers. As our custom, we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God, because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to First John one nine, if we confess our sins to the Father. He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. And we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures, which He's inspired. And uh, that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing and distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that you've given to us so graciously, another gift to enjoy and experience your creation and also, of course, to have fellowship with you, your Son, and the Holy Spirit through uh, hearing and obeying your word. I thank you for other like-minded believers uh, that uh, might be listening or watching right now and or a later date through the recordings. And uh, I just thank you, Father, for the streaming video by YouTube. I pray it would function properly. Thank you for the service that they provide, protected from the enemy. And I thank you for the, for the various t um, media platforms that you've given to us. We thank you for the, the websites and the, the podcast and uh, the various uh, media platforms that you've given to us, like Facebook and YouTube, that uh, you, I pray you've given us graciously, and I pray you would use them mightily and continue to use them mightily. I know you are. And uh, I pray you raise up more people to help us out uh, financially here at Winston Bible Ministries. And uh, your word says those who are taught the word of God to share all good things with those who teach him. And uh, that... Uh, a worker is worthy of his wages, and you're not to muzzle an ox, ox as uh, Peter, uh, Paul says in First Timothy 5. And uh, I just pray, Father, that you would convict people who are benefiting from Winston Bible Ministries to reciprocate as your word commands them to do. I also thank you for those who have been uh, supporting Winston Bible Ministries through the years, since its inception. I thank you for each and every person, those who are not only supporting us financially, but also that are uh, praying for us, of course, and have served in this ministry in the past or up to the present moment. 
I also uh, just thank you for the study in Ephesians, and I just pray, Father, that this study would be a blessing to your people today and, and with this lesson and this class and in the future through the recordings. I pray that you would help me by the power of Spirit to communicate your full counsel today with regards to this passage in Ephesians 2.13 so that uh, your people can receive the necessary spiritual nourishment and also pray that you would work mildly and powerfully through your people. And I pray the Spirit would... Uh, would do a mighty work through them and help and convict them and encourage and, and rebuke and correct and uh, exhort to uh, grow to spiritual maturity, help them by the power of the Spirit to learn, understand, and apply what they're being taught. I pray that as a result, they'd be able to continue to grow up spiritually, become more like your son, Jesus Christ, in thought, word, and action. And again, I thank you for the great honor and privilege that you give me to teach your word to your people who you purchased with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, at the cross of Calvary. I also pray there'll be no problems with recordings, the video, the audio, and upload of these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. So, Father, we pray for the service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. All right, if you haven't turned there already, go to, <clears throat> excuse me, go to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 1, and uh, what I'll do today is I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And uh, I like to live, read from the different modern translations that we have. So let's read the first, uh, second chapter of Ephesians, which uh, second chapter of Ephesians, and as we've been doing, and then we'll read from my translation of those, the same chapter, and then we're going to look at verse 13, finish it off today. And this is how we, uh, we're, we're studying the verse in its context. That's why I'm reading the whole chapter. Uh, sometimes I read the, just the pericope that it's in, but uh, I want to read the whole ta- chapter because they're definitely, obviously, linked to each other. And because verses 11 through 22 are an inference from the first 10 verses, as we pointed out in our study of verse 11. So, without further ado, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when we were raised from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace and when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus because you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself is brought peace, peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself 
one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we're his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Uh, so we see there that uh, uh, we have two pericopes in the chapter, the verses 11 to 22. The second are, is presenting the inference uh, from the first 10 verses. And of course, in both passages, as we've been pointing out, namely verses 1 through 3 and 11 and 12, Paul is going back to the pre-conversion, the pre-justification uh, portion of their lives of these Gentile Christians that he's writing to in the Roman province of Asia. So he does that to accentuate the love and the grace of God. Uh, despite the fact that uh, we were dead in our sins and transgressions, enslaved to sin and Satan in this cosmic system, and in spite of the fact that we were had no covenant relationship with God like the Jews did, and we're far away from the covenant people of God and God as a result. Uh, God loved us so much that he raised us up and seated us with his son when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. And he, he placed us in union with Christ and identified us with him and his resurrection and session at the right hand of the Father and made us, uh, united us at the same time through the baptism of the Spirit and our justification with Jewish believers. And now we're, together we form the new humanity that's going to reign over this earth during the millennial reign of Christ and on into eternity. So remember, we pointed this out several times in the last class as well. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says that the human race was created, Adam and Eve, to rule over the works of God's hands. But we see in Hebrews 2 that this is not the case. Uh, and because Satan usurped the authority of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with the fall, Genesis chapter 3. And uh, that's why he's called the God of this world by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And John says that the whole world is under his power. 1 John 5, 19, and the Revelation, book of Revelation, chapter 12, says that he deceives the entire world. In fact, he offered up the kingdoms of this world to Christ in his temptation in Luke 4, and Christ emphatically rejected them, but that would not have been a legitimate temptation if he did not, in fact, have the kingdoms of the world as his possession, temporarily. So the first step in dispossessing Satan and the fallen angels and restoring humanity over the work, as ruler over the works of his hands God crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated his son at his right hand, and that was destroyed the works of the devil, provided us our so great salvation and sanctification, and that also start, uh, served as a basis. These events in our Lord's life served as the basis uh, for our Jewish and Gentile believers' uh, relationship to him and being part of his uh, members of his body and his bride. And so at the moment of justification, when the sinner, whether he's Jewish or Gentile, uh, the minute they trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, the Father credits His Son's righteousness to them and declares them justified, the first story of the, the first five chapters of Romans. And then simultaneously, through the baptism of the Spirit, uh, He I, uh, unites us with Christ, as you can see in the translation of the New Living Translation. 
And uh, he also identifies with us with Christ in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection session is right here. That means he, he looks at us as crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with his son. Why? Because we're under his headship. He's the last Adam, and we're no longer under the headship of the first Adam, where there's a place of cursing. Now we're under the place of blessing. And so when uh, the rapture happens, we'll be perfected and we'll receive rewards for faithful service if, we're, if we merit them immediately after the rapture, the resurrection of the church, which is imminent. And then uh, to end the 70th week of Daniel, the times of the Gentiles, the tribulation period, Christ comes back with the church as documented for us in Revelation 19 and 20. And he, he destroys uh, Antichrist and the, false, and the false prophet, tribulational armies, and also removes every unregenerate human being, Jew or Gentile, from the face of the earth. And uh, at that time, there'll be a national regeneration and restoration of the nation of Israel. And uh, as the Ezekiel 37 dry bones passage in Romans 11, 27, 5 to 27 talks about this, Revelation, uh, Zechariah 12 and 14. And uh, so we come back with Christ and Satan and the fallen angels are in prison for a thousand years and we have the millennial reign. And so uh, we, as Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? And so the reason why is because we're the bride of Christ, how we not? And what does Christ do at the second advent? He, uh, he, he judges Satan and the fallen angels and imprisons them for a thousand years. So, this is, again, God did all this despite the fact that we were dead in our sins and transgressions, enslaved to sin and Satan in this cosmic system. And this accentuates the grace of God, which is basically God's policy towards sinners and uh, bestowing upon them unmerited blessings because of their faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and union and identification with Him. And so, uh, that flows from the function of the attribute of His love. So, this is what we have for us as believers, so we should define ourselves by who we are in Christ. Not only ch that we're uh, children uh, created in the image of God, but we're also in the image of Christ, the last Adam. And so uh, God, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit of justification, has restored the image of God to us, and so which was marred due to sin. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. In uh, my translation, we'll read the entire chapter as we did in the New Living Translation. So look at Ephesians 2.1 in my translation. So it says, Now correspondingly, even though each and every one of you as a corporate unit were spiritually dead ones because of your transgressions, in other words, because of your sins, each one of you formally lived by means of these in agreement with the standard of the unregenerate people of this age, which is the production of the cosmic world system in agreement with the standard of the sovereign ruler, namely the sovereign governmental authority ruling over the evil spirits residing in the earth's atmosphere. Specifically, the spirit is presently working in the lives of those members of the human race who are characterized by disobedience, the non-believer. Then he says in verse 3, he says, among whom... Each of us also, formerly for our own selfish benefit, conducted our lives by means of those lusts which are produced by our flesh, the sin nature, specifically by indulging those inclinations which are produced by our flesh. In other words, those impulses which are the product of our flesh. Consequently, each of us caused ourselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of our natural condition from physical birth, just as the rest correspondingly caused themselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of their natural condition from physical birth. But because God is rich with regards to mercy, because of the exercise of his great love with which he loved each and every one of us, 
Even though each of us, as a corporate unit in the Christian community, was spiritually dead ones because of our transgressions, he caused each of us to be made alive together with him, the one and only Christ. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace. Specifically, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be raised with him. Correspondingly, he caused each of us as a corporate unit to be seated in the heavenlies because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. He did this. He did this so that he could display for his own glory during the ages which is certain to come the incomparable wealth which is the product of his grace because of kindness for the benefit of all of us without exception because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace by means of faith. In other words, this salvation never originated from any one of you as a source. It originated as a the gift from God. It does not originate, it never originated, from meritorious actions as a source, so that a person cannot, for their own benefit, enter into the state of boasting. For each one of us are his creative workmanship. For each and every one of us has been created by means of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus in order to produce actions which are divine good. These God prepared in advance so that each of us would conduct our lives by means of them. Now, just a little a little uh, interjection. I've been bringing this out uh, with regards to my translation. And you saw it in the New Living Translation today with union with Christ, it says. And also you saw that in the Good News Bible. And you can see with me, uh, I'm also, my interpretation, my translation is, is much more interpretive because I can afford to do that with you. If I was on a translation committee, I would not be as wordy as I am. But I can do that because I'm your interpreter. But uh, you'll see the phrase, because of your faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus. Okay, that is basically when you see in Christ Jesus or in Christ or in him, in whom in the first two chapters of Ephesians, that's Paul's shorthand. When Christ is the reference there, that's Paul's shorthand for the fact that you and I, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, believers in Jesus Christ, it's talking about our faith in Christ, the justification, and our union identification with Him. Through the baptism of the Spirit, which took place at justification as well. That's the reason. That's why I translate the preposition in, in those verses, and in the Greek, as consul. Because that's the reason why we're blessed. And that's the reason why we unite, us Gentiles are united with Jewish believers in the church. And this is why we have the forgiveness of sins and we were raised up and seated us with uh, seated with Christ at his right hand when we would, despite the fact that we were dead in our sins and transgression. That's the reason. So this is what you need to, I'm pointing this out to you. So I'm being more um, uh, interpretive in my translation. Again, and it's reflecting my, my the translation is reflecting my interpretation, of course. All translation is interpretive. The modern translations all are. The King James was. Everybody who interpret the the uh, the the, uh, the Latin Vulgate, whatever translation or whatever thing you're translating, whatever language you're translating into, uh, it's always involves interpretation. It's a very difficult task. So then we have verse eleven, as I pointed out earlier, and we noted this in detail. Therefore, at the beginning of verse eleven, is basically telling us that from here on out is an inference from uh, what we have in the first 10 verses. So it says, therefore, again, I'm reading from my translation. It says, therefore, every one of you as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly, each of you who belonged to the Gentile race with respect to the human body, specifically those who received the designation uncircumcision, by those who received the designation circumcision with respect to the human body performed by human hands, all of you without exception used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ. 
Each of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each one of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, which is the product of the covenants. Each of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing. Consequently, all of you, without exception, used to be without a relationship with God in the sphere of the cosmic world system. However, he says, however, because of your faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus, each and every one of you as a corporate unit who formerly were far away, the Gentiles, have now been brought near by means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. For he himself, Christ, personifies our peace, namely by causing both groups to be one, specifically by destroying the wall which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused hostility between the, these two races and the two races with God. Verse 15, in other words, by nullifying by means of his human nature the law composed of the commandments consisting of a written code of laws in order that he might cause the two to be created into one new humanity by means of faith in himself and justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Thus, he says he caused peace to be established between the two races and the two races with God. Verse 16, then he says, in other words, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through his cross. Consequently, he put to death the hostility between the two races and the two races with God by means of faith in himself at justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Correspondingly, he as a result, Jesus Christ, came proclaiming peace through the apostles and New Testament prophets and evangelists, for the benefit of each and every one of you, namely those who are far off, likewise, peace to those who were near, the Jews. Consequently, verse 18, Consequently, through the personal intermediate agency of himself, each and every one of us is a corporate unit in the Christian community. Namely, both groups are experiencing access by means of the omnipotence of the one spirit to the presence of the Father. Indeed, therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit are no longer foreigners to the covenants of promise, that is, foreign citizens, but rather each one of you as a corporate unit are fellow citizens with the saints, that is, members of God's household, because each one of you as a corporate unit have been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to each one of you by the apostles as well as prophets simultaneously. He himself, Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone. Then in verses 21 and 22, he says, on the basis of its being continually fitted inextricably together by means of justification by faith and union and identification with him, the whole building is growing into a holy temple by appropriating by faith, union and identification with the Lord. In other words, by appropriating by faith, your union and identification with him, all of you without exception are being built together into God's dwelling place by means of the omnipotence of the Spirit. So, as I said in, uh, in, the, in the beginning of the, uh, before the opening prayer, we're going to finish off verse 13 and look at the B part of Ephesians 2.13 and noting the reason and the means by which the Gentile Christians have been brought near to God and His covenant people Israel. And this will constitute the 108th hour in Ephesians. So, as was the case in Ephesians 1.7, when we saw the word, the, the noun hema, blood, here in Ephesians 2.13 is not used in a literal sense, it's used in a figurative sense as part of a representative analogy between the physical death of the animal sacrifices prescribed in the Mosaic Law and the spiritual and physical deaths of Christ on the cross. So I know that uh, some people, especially the old-timers, they, they, when they talk about it's not the literal blood that Paul's talking about or the biblical writers, uh, they get all worked up about it. Well, the blood of Christ 
though it did not uh, have sin in it because he didn't have a sin nature. His body was uh, free from the sin nature because uh, the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary, not Joseph, who passes down the sin nature uh, through copulation. And we see that uh, the, the, even though his blood was didn't have the presence of sin nature in it, uh, and it was uh, perfect. Uh, it uh, he, it was nonetheless an inanimate object. That's not what's that's not what uh, uh, he's talking about when we're on the cross. It's a representative analogy with the animal sacrifices. And remember, behold, the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is telling us that's what he's thinking about. So Christ is the fulfillment of the animal sacrifices. Uh, he's the substantive reality of the law, as we saw in our study of Colossians two verses twenty through twenty three. So when he's talking about the blood of Christ, he's talking about not only his physical death, but his spiritual death. And uh, the spiritual death, what I mean by that is that when he was abandoned by the Father on the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. He was being abandoned by the Father. Why? Because he was suffering the wrath of God. Uh, So everything that a person is going to suffer in the lake of fire forever, he had to endure in those last three hours on the cross. As God, the second member of the Trinity, and a perfect human being. So he was the perfect sacrifice. So he negated uh, what Adam did in the Garden of Eden, and he, by suffering the wrath of God on the cross, which we're going to bring into remembrance today in the Lord's Supper at the end of the lesson, uh, he, by doing that, uh, he uh, redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. He reconciled us sinners to a holy God, and he propitiated, he satisfied the Father's holiness, which demanded that sin and sinners be judged. So now sin's not the issue for an unbeliever. It's what do you think of Christ? And so repentance for, in relation to, as for a non-believer, is to change your mind about Jesus Christ and trust in Him as Savior. Now, you have to believe in two major things about Christ to get saved. Uh, one, you just can't say, I believe in His existence. Uh, even the, the demons know that. He exists, uh, as James says. Uh, you need to believe that, first and foremost, He's both God and man. Because if he's, not, if he's not both God and man, there's no mediator between us sinners and a holy God, 1 Timothy 2.5. And 5, and so we need a mediator between us sinners and a holy God, and he's the God-man. So if you don't believe he's God, then you're not believing in the Jesus of the Bible and of the gospel. Second of all, you have to believe he rose from the dead. If he doesn't rise from the dead, his suffering the wrath of God in our place is meaningless. He's just another person who had delusions of grandeur, and he was not who he claimed to be. So the resurrection is important because it demonstrated that he is God and who he is, he was who he claimed to be because he predicted his resurrection and his enemies knew that. And that's why they had stringent uh, detail to, uh, to protect the tomb from any thieves. And so therefore we have uh, the Lord uh, also was vindicated by being raised from the dead. And it also demonstrated the father accepted his, uh, his sacrifice on the cross by suffering the wrath of God in our place. So the spiritual death of Christ means he suffered the wrath of God in our place and that's as the second member of the Trinity, not just as a human being. Remember, the hypostatic union, you can't separate the two. He's both God and man. And uh, that's why, uh, you know, so people say, well, he could have possibly sinned. No, he couldn't have. There's no way he could, could have sinned because he's God. And you could tempt God. But you, I mean, you, there's no chance. There's nothing in the t- temptations of Satan that would be he would be attracted to. He's God. So the temptations of Satan were basically to demonstrate that he was who he claimed to be. God, a perfect sacrifice that God wanted. So he, because he's God, there was no way he could, any potential of him sinning. And uh, so, and some people would say, my, my brothers in Christ who believed that, well, that it wouldn't been much of a, uh, wouldn't be fear to Satan, you know, that, uh, that if he had no chance of sinning. 
uh, where you misunderstand, again, the reason for the temptations. Uh, and second of all, if God cast Satan in the lake of fire, he'd be justified in doing that. If he says, you know, because you're going to tell me he wasn't there to do that? No, Satan was guilty and he could have he he thrown him to the lake of fire immediately, but he didn't. He must have given him an appeal. Matthew 25, 41 says he was sentenced to the lake of fire with his, spirit, his fellow evil spirits. And yet he's, uh, he, he's the God of this world right now. And uh, he won't be uh, thrown in the lake of fire to the end of human history. Okay? So obviously God gave him grace. <laughs> okay? Like he gave us grace. So uh, he would have been fair to throw him in the lake of fire. So he was, there's nothing about being fair to Satan. He was, he, he's being gracious to Satan to start with. Okay? So the, the temptations and Satan was, took part in it because Satan wanted to dish it out to Jesus and make it difficult for him as much as he could. But uh, he knew who he was. He knew he was God. So because he had the opportunity to, 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 to tempt him, he did it. <laughs> okay? So, but uh, that doesn't mean, you know, he could have uh, sinned because, I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, could a tugboat attack one of our, our um, aircraft carriers? Those things, you can't sink those suckers. <laughs> they got so much protection around them. I was watching this thing. So, yeah, can a tugboat attack a, a battle a aircraft carrier? Yeah. That doesn't mean he's going to have any chance of winning, right? <laughs> so, he suffered the wrath of God. So, he, his, 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 his hypostatic union was not diminished in any way by being abandoned by his heavenly father. And, uh, and then uh, his, uh, the Trinity was not disrupted at all. It was the fellowship between the members of the Trinity that was disrupted, and particularly between the Father and the Son, because it says in Hebrews 9.14 that the Lord offered himself up to the eternal spirit, and he did that by uh, appropriating by faith what the Spirit taught in the Old Testament. And one of those passages was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the next verse after that says, Because you are holy. That's why he had to do that. So, this is the blood. This is what the blood means, okay? So, as was the case, we pointed this out in detail in our study of Ephesians 1.7. The word Hema, blood, in here in first Ephesians 2.13, is used in a figurative sense as part of a representative analogy between the physical death of the animal sacrifices prescribed in the Mosaic law and the spiritual and physical deaths of Christ on the cross. Now, this word Hema, blood, is the object of the preposition N, which is translated uh, by... And it's functioning as a marker of means. That's why it's translated with the word by, or you could say by means of. So this would indicate that the blood of Christ, which is a reference again to his spiritual and physical deaths on the cross, was the means by which, quote unquote, the Father entered these Gentile Christians into a close, intimate fellowship, a relationship and fellowship with himself and his covenant people, Israel in particular, regenerate Jews in the uh, Jewish wing of the church. So the, the word for Christ there, uh, we've seen this quite a bit. It's the word Christos and, and contains the figure of metonymy, which means that the one and only Christ is put for the church age believers faith in him at justification and their union and identification with him through the baptism of the spirit at their justification. Uh, I just want to look at this real quick. You see this article here? To Christo. Okay, this is the, the Greek text, Nestle Alain, 28th edition of, of Ephesians 2.13. At the very end, we have uh, to Christu. Okay, it's the article there, too. Uh, it's in the genitive case, of course, uh, genitive singular. And uh, what that simply means is it's, uh, it's saying that he's, uh, he's the only one who's worthy to be. He, it's a monadic article, meaning he, I'm the only, he's the only Christ. There are many who claim to be Christ, but he's the only one who's worthy of being called Christ. And so that's why I translated my translation one and only. So this interpretation of Christ 
here that it contains the figure of metonymy, which means that Christ is put for the church age believers' faith in him at justification and union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit at their justification. We know this is true because it's indicated by the fact that uh, the Gentile Christians, you and I, were entered into a relationship with God the Father and with his covenant people Israel by being declared justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Simultaneously, through the baptism of the Spirit, they were placed in union with Jesus Christ and identified with him in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father. Through the baptism of the Spirit, we are united with Jewish Christians. And consequently, we benefit us Gentile Christians from the four unconditional covenants that God established with his covenant people, Israel, namely the Abrahamic, Palestinian, or we could say land, Davidic, and new covenants. And we receive the gift of the Spirit and the forgiveness of sins because of benefiting from the new covenant, which promises these two benefits. So at the moment of justification, uh, and Paul talks about this in Romans 11 and uh, with a, you know, the wild olive branch and the olive branch, okay? Um, you and I as Gentile believers are united to Jewish believers, not just united to Christ through the baptism of the Spirit at our justification, but also simultaneously united with Jewish believers, obviously, so in the church. And so, therefore, remember the Jews were given the covenants, the Abrahamic, Palestinian, Davidic, and New Covenants, the Mosaic Law. We Gentiles were not. Paul makes this clear in Romans 9, 4, and 5. Chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. And also the book of Exodus makes that clear. The church wasn't even in existence in the Old Testament. Don't tell me it was, because when he said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, Peter, upon this rock, including him, speaking of himself, I, I will, future tense, build my church. So don't tell me the church is back in the Old Testament. It was not. The church is a mystery dispensation that's all over the place. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 15 through 58. And we see Ephesians, we're going to look, be looking at that. Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 12 talks about that. Uh, so it's a mystery dispensation, not known to Old Testament saints. So when us Gentile believers got saved through faith in Christ and declared justified and then identified with Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at the writing of the Father through the baptism of the Spirit at our justification, simultaneously we were united to Jewish believers. And therefore, because of that, that's where Paul says in Romans 11 that us wild olive tree, okay, was united to the olive tree. And that's thinking of Israel, regenerate Israel. Uh, the, the branches on the olive tree are regenerate Jews. The ones that are off the tree are unregenerate Jews. And we're the wild olive branch. So we are engrafted in contrary to nature. You didn't do that. A wild olive tree was not grafted into, it was a contrary to nature, okay? So it's telling us the supernatural thing of, that's taken place at our justification for us Gentile Christians, okay? So this is fantastic. This is amazing what God did. And so, as was the case, as was the case in Ephesians 1.1, and 2, 3, 5, 10, 12, 17, 20, 2, 5, 6, 7, 10, 12. The word here, Christos, uh, Christ, here in Ephesians 2, 13, emphasizes that Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnate Son of God, delivered the believer from the sin nature, personal sins, the devil and his cosmic system, spiritual and physical death, eternal condemnation through his substitutionary spiritual and physical deaths on the cross and his resurrection and session at the right hand of the Father. This word, Christ, it denotes the messiahship of Jesus, in other words. Thus, this means he's the deliverer of the human race in three areas, through his death, resurrection, and ascension, and session of the right hand of the Father. The three areas are the three enemies that we have in the human race and the church has. Satan, 
the cosmic system of Satan, and the old sin nature. And that Paul mentions these in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Now, the Lord's Messiahship has a fourfold significance. One, separation unto God. Speaking, he was sanctified to do the Father's purpose. Two, authorization from God. Three, divine enablement, meaning he had the Spirit, permanently possessed it. Number four, the coming deliverer. He is the coming deliverer. This is what this word Christ is speaking of. It also signifies the uniqueness of Jesus of Nazareth, who is the God-man. So this word Christ, Christos, also signifies that Jesus of Nazareth served God the Father exclusively. And this was manifested by his execution of the Father's salvation plan, which again was accomplished by suffering the wrath of God on, our, on, the, on the cross in our place, by suffering a substitutionary physical and death physical and spiritual deaths on the cross, and then also, of course, uh, he served the Father being by being raised and seated at his right hand. This word Christ signifies that Jesus of Nazareth, <coughs> excuse me, has been given authority by the Father to forgive sins, give eternal life, and authority over all creation and every creature as a result of his execution of the Father's salvation plan. That's the great passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Uh, he has received a name, a rank, above all, every rank in God's creation, among the angels and men, and and, and every, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this word Christ denotes that Jesus of Nazareth was perpetually guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit during his first advent. Remember, this word Christos, it comes from a word that means smeared with oil. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophet and uh, the king uh, they, they were uh, they were anointed with oil, and that means that was divine enablement. It was it signified the presence of the Holy Spirit. The oil did, and so this word Christ is coming from that verb creo uh, to uh, to anoint with a smear with oil. So he was Jesus by being called Christ. This signified the fact that he was perpetually guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit during his first advent. Lastly, this word Christ it signifies that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised deliverer of the human race from the bondage of Satan, his cosmic system, and the old Adamic sin nature. Now the word Jesus, Jesus, uh, which I translate as who is Jesus, and uh, we see that, uh, uh, we see right here, um, uh, Jesus, okay, He's, it's in the, it's in the uh, data form, and Jesus, uh, is actually a dative of apposition, dative of simple apposition, which means it stands in apposition to the word Christ, meaning right next to it. And it's basically, uh, this word Jesus refers to the human nature of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, and actually it's clarifying uh, who Christ is here. So you know, if you notice in my translation, it goes, uh, I translate it in verse 13, However, because of your faith in and union identification with Christ, you could actually say, who is Jesus? Okay? And I do that in my expanded translation that I make available on my exegesis and exposition document of this verse. So, in other words, it's this Christ is, by using the word Jesus, it's clarifying which Christ we're talking about because there's many who made the claim to being Christ in the first century. So it's the Christ who is Jesus. So the word Christ is the object of the preposition and which is consul here. Because it functions here as a marker of cause, and this would indicate, therefore, and I brought this out in our earlier in the lesson and many times before in our previous classes in Ephesians, this indicates the causal use of the preposition and with Christos and Jesus, Jesus, 
indicates that the church age believers' faith in Jesus Christ, the justification, as well as their union and identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit of justification, is the reason why, quote-unquote, Gentile Christians were brought near to the Father and his covenant people Israel. And remember, uh, in Christ Jesus, it contains the figure of metonymy where the faith in Jesus, uh, the believer's faith in Christ at justification and the union and identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit of justification is uh, Christ Jesus is being put for that, those two things. So in other words, this prepositional phrase it presents the reason why Gentile Christians were entered into a relationship with the Father and his covenant people, Israel, and specifically regenerate Jews. And how is, what, was, what was the reason why they were, they were entered into a relationship with the Father and his covenant people, Israel? It's because of their faith in Jesus at justification and their union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit, which also took place simultaneously at our justification. So therefore, people, the prepositional phrase, and Christo Yesu, because of your faith in and your union identification with Christ Jesus, is fronted, which means that Paul places it at the beginning of the assertion here in Ephesians 2.13. He does so for emphasis. Uh, so if you look at the Nestle Alain text, of, uh, a Greek text of Ephesians 2.13, it's, uh, I'll read it for you in the Greek, it's Nuni, de and Christo Yesu, humais, Hoi pota antes makran eganethata egus ento haimati to Christo. Now, this is at the beginning of, okay, this is a, a post positive conjunction, duh. So it's here at the front of the clause, okay, the front of the verse. It's done so for emphasis, okay? And specifically, when by doing this and putting that prepositional phrase at the beginning of the verse up at the front, he wants to emphasize with these Gentile Christians something that he has done throughout this epistle up to this point, namely, that their present relationship with God and regenerate Jews, who are the remnant of Israel, was not attained by their own meritorious actions, but by the grace of God. As I mentioned to you at the beginning of the class and continuing to bring out to you in previous classes, the Father's grace policy, which provided them a Savior and the person of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, is the reason why they were in a relationship with the triune God and regenerate Jews in the church. It was his grace policy which sent his son to the cross to suffer his wrath on the cross, which he experienced through his spiritual and physical deaths on the cross as their substitute. Consequently, these Gentile Christians, you and I, were redeemed out of the slave market of sin in which we were born physically alive, yet spiritually dead according to the Father's grace policy. And we were reconciled to a holy God. And the Son propitiated, according to his grace policy, he propitiated the Father's holiness, which demanded that sin and sinners be judged. All of this was according to the Father's grace policy, which flows, as I said many times in the past and today, it flows from the exercise of the Father's attribute of love. These Gentile Christians appropriated this great deliverance of salvation on behalf of the entire human race, which the Father provided for them through His Son. They appropriated this salvation, this great deliverance, when they exercised faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior. And so consequently, the Father imputed or credited His Son's righteousness to them and declared them justified. That's Romans 3, 19-30. In other words, the Father declared them justified based upon the merits of His Son Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. And simultaneously, at the moment of their justification, the Holy Spirit placed them in union with Christ and identified them with Christ and His crucifixion, His death, His burial, His resurrection and session of the right hand of the Father. That's what the whole purpose of Romans 6 is all about. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4. So therefore, Gentile Christians, like Jewish Christians, are now members 
of the body of Christ and the future bride of Christ. Remember Paul says in Ephesians 5, 23-33 that the church is the bride of Christ. And it also, this means that we're going to reign with Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. We will reign with Christ during his millennial reign for a thousand years. Something to look forward to. All of this was accomplished because of the Father's grace policy, which again flows from the exercise of his attribute of love. This grace policy and the exercise of the Father's attribute of love was manifested through the work of the Son, namely his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of the Father's right hand. It was also manifested through the work of the Holy Spirit at the moment of our justification. So therefore, Paul in Ephesians 2.13 is introducing the doctrine of reconciliation which he discusses to the end of the chapter. And, and, and specifically, he's not only, dis, uh, discuss, uh, he's not only uh, involved in a discussion of the reconciliation between Gentile Christians and a holy God, but also it's a discussion of the reconciliation that is between Jew and Gentile. So this section of Ephesians all about reconciliation, and that's a subject we studied uh, before uh, we, uh, I think it was before we did uh, Jude, when I was at in Massachusetts. And remember, before we did Jude, I believe it was, yeah, was it Jude or Ephesians? No, it was before Ephesians, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, it was It was before Jude. Uh, we did the doctrine of reconciliation, redemption, and propitiation, the finished work of Christ. And so we did a big series on that, and it's on our website, and it's on YouTube, the playlist for that. And it's on our podcast. So uh, this reconciliation is, you know, not only with us Gentile Christians with the Holy God, but we've also been reconciled to Jewish believers simultaneously. So therefore, and we'll close with this and go to the Lord's Supper, this reconciliation is twofold. In both instances, Gentile Christians were reconciled to God in the Jewish Christian community because of their faith in Jesus Christ, the justification and union and identification with Him. And this mean, the means by which this twofold reconciliation was accomplished is the blood of Christ, which we noted in detail is a representative analogy referring to the substitutionary spiritual and physical deaths of Christ on the cross. Or in other words, it's referring to him suffering the wrath of God in our place at Calvary. So therefore, as we close, Paul in Ephesians 2.13 is introducing the doctrine of peace as well because this reconciliation of Gentiles with Jews and with God is the reason why Gentile Christians like you and I have peace with God and Jewish Christians. You know, this is what the world's looking for, isn't it? People want peace in their lives and they want nations, people want have peace between nations and we don't have it. And I've said this many times before. This was taught to me a long time ago. There's, there's only, the only way to get peace for the human soul that's uh, enslaved to sin and Satan in this cosmic system is through faith in Jesus Christ. Because he, he suffered the wrath of God in our place so that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God forever in the lake of fire. So therefore, all of our sins have been forgiven because the Father's holiness has been propitiated, satisfied through the Son's sacrifice at Calvary. So you, you and I have peace with God, so the world can't have peace until Christ comes back at a second advent with his bride, the church, and then the curse will be lifted and there'll be no more war for a thousand years. Okay? But now is a time of warfare. But the world's problems can be only resolved through the gospel, and particularly the subject of the gospel, Jesus Christ, and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session, the right hand of the Father, which destroyed the works of the devil, and you could appropriate for yourself uh, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit at justification, the great victory that Christ has uh, performed for us and accomplished for us over the devil and his cosmic system and the sin nature. 
And this is the this is a message that the devil does not want, and the the enemy does not want the fallen angels, and uh, they persecute people like me who are doing this. And there's many others that still do it. Look what they did to Paul. Look at they did all these other people. They were saved by the grace of God, just like I was. I'm just a servant of of the Lord. And this is what you have to face, and you're going to deal with when you have this kind of message that's going out there. They don't want you to know that who you are in Christ and the great victory that you have. The victory is already yours. We just need to appropriate by faith our union identification with Christ and consider ourselves dead to the sin nature and the cosmic system of Satan and alive to God as Paul taught in Galatians 6 and Romans 6 and Colossians chapter 3. So we're going to segue now into the Lord's Supper and I have bread and juice with me here and you can get yours if you don't have it already. And uh, I'm going to uh, put the guitar on. I put the mic on mute for a second, and uh, I'll come back with my guitar, and we'll do, I'll do a song that will honor the Lord uh, in the Lord's Supper. It's called "Upon a Cold Roman Cross." So I'll put the lyrics up there for you. So let me get that guitar. back. Just slide my capo down here for you so I can do the song. Okay, here we go. Upon a cold Roman cross he hung between heaven and earth Separated from his father for those last three hours To reconcile a world that was lost The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world Upon a cold Roman cross God showed his love by killing his son The sacrifice for you and I that gave us life eternal We were redeemed by the blood of his cross He was forsaken The Romans placed a crown Thorns upon his head They pierced his feet and hands And watched him as he bled Soldiers gambled for his clothes And mocked him to his face Crucified between two thieves And yet he gave them grace Father, forgive them They know not 
what they do. Up on a cold rum grass, he hung between heaven and earth, separated from his father for those last three hours to reconcile the world that was lost. He was forsaken, and at the stroke of noon. Darkness filled the land The time had finally come To crush this sinless man The father forsook his son So he could be redeemed The crowd around and stood and heard His anguish as he screamed The grain of wheat fell into the ground Up on a cold Roman cross God showed his love by killing his son The sacrifice for you and I That gave us life eternal We were redeemed by the blood of his cross He was forsaken God, you play the guitar. I'll be right back. And while I'm doing that, can you go to First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-three? You should be at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And we're going to enter into the Lord's Supper as we do the first Saturday of each month and bring into remembrance the great sacrifice at Calvary that the Lord accomplished for us so that we might have eternal life, that we might have a relationship and a fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we just uh, this is a time to bring into remembrance that great event, that uh, cataclysmic event that changed the world. And uh, so uh, we benefited from it at the, the moment of our justification through faith in Jesus Christ and the baptism of the Spirit. And so now this, should, uh, this is a time to recharge ourselves and it should cause us to fall more deeply in love with uh, your bridegroom because we're the bride of Christ. And so this is a great uh, time to, uh, to bring into remembrance our Lord and it should, uh, it should invigorate us and empower us uh, because the Holy Spirit through this ceremony, this, uh, this uh, time that we, uh, this 
ritual that we perform uh, uh, is we're now at this particular time uh, this should uh, this should cause us to fall in love more deeply with him and uh, at this particular time so I remember those who the more we the more we love him the more obedient will we be we will be John 14 15 if you love me you'll keep my commandments so this same love we're bringing to remembrance the great love that he had for us when we were his enemy Romans 5 6 through 8 and uh, and so therefore we're to reflect that love when we interact with each other and all that involves and uh, John 13 34 15 12 that great command and all that involves which means to pray for each other to be patient and tolerant with one another forgive one another all these things uh, is part of obeying that command to love one another, the one another commands of Scripture that we studied. So we bring in remembrance our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His, his person and work. Uh, the bread speaks of His person and the, and, the, and the juice speaks of His work. And so uh, the bread, remember the Jews, uh, it, this, is, this whole ceremony is taken from the Passover meal and which speaks of the great God, uh, deliverance that God had given the Israelites out of uh, enslavement and bondage to, uh, uh, to uh, Pharaoh in Egypt. And that great deliverance were those plagues in the first 12 chapters of, of Exodus. But this is a greater, Jesus got a greater de uh, deliverer uh, than Moses was, uh, that God used. Uh, he's uh, the greatest of all deliverers because he not only, <laughs> he delivered us from our great enemies, sin, Satan, and his cosmic system. And, and the wrath of God in the lake of fire, and personal sins, and, uh, and spiritual and physical death, condemnation from the law. The Lord has got, given us a greater deliverance. So the bread speaks of his person. Uh, he's, the bread of, he's the bread of life, remember he said that. And uh, so uh, we see that uh, that bread oftentimes, and, and the Jews were told to make it unleavened bread. Remember unleavened, the Feast of Unleavened was corresponded with the Passover. Christ is our Passover, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says. He's the, he's the personification of that. He's the fulfillment of that. that. He's, and also, so his, the bread was supposed to be unleavened. Leaven many times in Scripture it speaks of the presence of evil like Paul brings out in Galatians. But Jesus didn't have uh, the presence of evil in him. First of all, he's God. Uh, he's undiminished deity and true sinless humanity in one person forever. He's every much a human being like us, but uh, without sin and not having a sin nature and never committed an act of sin. And also, he's God. He's different from us in that he's God in the flesh. Uh, he's different from the, the Spirit and the, and the Father in that he is a human being. And uh, neither one of them are. And so, he's the unique, the anthropic person of creation. And it's Jesus Christ. And so, the bread speaks of his humanity and sinless humanity. And uh, he had to be a perfect, sinless person. And uh, when it said all of the sins of the world were imputed to him, and, uh, and he was judged in our place. He had to suffer the consequences for what we did. And so uh, he is a perfect sacrifice. And that's why the, land, the, the animal sacrifice, they had, when the animal was presented uh, at the tabernacle or in the temple, it had to be without spot or blemish because it, this personifies, or uh, excuse me, it, uh, it, um, it portrays the sinless person of Jesus Christ. And that's why the Father valued what he did at, at Calvary, because he's perfect. And then we have the juice, which speaks of his suffering the wrath of God in our place, by being abandoned by the Father, his spiritual death, and also his physical death, and the torture of the crucifixion, and the two scourgings that he had to endure, and the abuse that he was heaped upon him by sinners. And so uh, he is, uh, that's the, the blood of Christ. And so the, 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 the wine or the juice uh, is basically talking about that and it's causing us to remember that what he did for us when we were his enemies. 
So Paul says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord, when I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread in remembrance of our Lord. Then Paul says in verse 25, in the same way, the Lord took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the cup in remembrance of our Lord's death. Then Paul says in verse 26, For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's a reference, of course, to the rapture, which, which is imminent. It could take place at any moment. And that's when we get our resurrection bodies and we're perfected. And a resurrection body will never sin again. That was all made possible through our Lord's sacrifice at Calvary. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to bring into remembrance our Savior, your Son, your precious Son, and uh, bring into remembrance the great sacrifice at Calvary when he was abandoned by you, uh, a lonely forsaken man at the cross of Calvary so that we would never be abandoned by you in the lake of fire forever. And he suffered what we should have suffered, your wrath and the physical torture and the abandonment. We just, uh, we just in the, in the mental torture, the whole thing, the abuse that he's received, we deserve that, not him. And so I just pray that bringing into remembrance our Lord through this ceremony uh, would, uh, would be a, a cause of blessing to people in the sense that it would cause them to fall in love more deeply with you and your son and the Holy Spirit and cause us, as a result, to become more and more obedient to you, growing in love toward you and each other, as a result of meditating and making careful application of what your son did for us at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And I just pray for the lesson also would be a blessing to you people as well today, and would give them a great appreciation for this great union identification with your son at a moment of our justification through the baptism of the Spirit, which has united us, reconciled us with you, a holy God, and also Jewish believers as well. And we just thank you and praise you for treating us in grace, according to grace policy, which is flowing from your exercise of your love. And so I just pray, Father, for this lesson would be a blessing to you people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, ultimately. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll pick this up on Tuesday uh, at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, have a good rest of the weekend.